Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm your host, Jacob Milham. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Carlos Beltran, Brady Singer, and some of the recent international signees for the Kansas City Royals. But I couldn't do it on my own. The one and only Max Reaper is on with me tonight. Max, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Doing all right. Just uh, been watching a lot of football, it seems, and not really grasping how soon baseball is going to be upon us um it's it seems like it's just getting closer and closer every day you know well yeah they they were kind of uh they weren't being very public about when pitchers and catchers report and then there was a thing this week about uh you know pitchers and catchers will have the first workout on february 15th so it's not Ooh. that far away we're less than a month now uh full full workouts on the 20th and i think the first game again is against the rangers on the 24th or something like that it's, it's uh, coming up man yeah so it's 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 not gonna be too long before we start seeing uh you know our favorite royals bobby wood jr mj melendez stretching there's gonna be footage of them stretching in arizona Arizona, where there'll be a story of someone <laughs> in the best shape of their life. There's going to be a story about some pitcher that is working on a new pitch in the offseason. Uh, all sorts of hype and all sorts of hope for this upcoming season because anything can happen in, in, when it's in March. And, you know, the first game, we're going to have a couple home runs and, and people get excited. Hey, look at all the home runs right in Arizona. <laughs> Surely <laughs> that will carry over to the regular season this year. Uh, and it doesn't. But, uh, you know, it's always fun to dream a little bit in spring. Uh, and it's, hey, it's always just great to have baseball ball back so uh, i'm looking forward to it well april showers bring may flowers and you know just royals hopes and dreams come out of arizona i guess so <laughs> i will uh, I'll, I'll take that though but if you want to get caught up on everything that's happened this offseason please go check out royalsreview.com and if you want to stay up to date on the breaking news coming out of kaufman Go follow Royals Review on Twitter and on Facebook. Now, Max, at the end of last week's episode, we teased that we wanted to talk about the Carlos Beltran case for the Hall of Fame because I think it's a little bit more convoluted than like it seems like a no brainer within the Royals fans sphere. But outside of that, his time after Kansas City is really kind of muddying the waters on if he is worthy of a Hall of Fame vote. And to all the listeners, I admitted to Max, I was I was a wee lad. I was still, you know, learning my ABCs when Carlos was still uh, was still actually playing in Kaufman. So I don't know if I really grasp the full gravity. So, Max, I'm I'm sorry. I might be aging you a little bit here and I, I do apologize. But could you go ahead and give us your opinion on the case for Carlos Beltran to the Hall of Fame? I, I have already aged myself several times on this podcast, <laughs> so I don't think that's going to be a problem. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, I like I, I watched Beltron from, you know, when he was a prospect to, to the end of his career, which is, you know, very <laughs> surreal to kind of like go and, and witness a whole I'm at the, you know, the point now in my life now where I'm seeing like sons of big leaguers I grew up watching. So uh, and I've seen like the entire career now of like guys that are up for the Hall of Fame. So that's. That makes me feel very old. Um, but yeah, I mean, Beltron, uh, first of all, you know, he was a dynamic talent. Uh, one of the, you know, we always talk about, you know, power speed combos and he was the kind of prototypical power speed player, uh, 400 home runs, 300 stolen bases, uh, 435 home runs to be precise, 312 stolen bases, his stolen base. And not only did he steal bases, his, uh, success rate, I, I believe it's like top five of all time for anyone that has like at least a hundred steals. Like he was a very efficient base dealer, uh, terrific base runner too. Uh, an outstanding defender. Um, he's got, uh, let's see, three gold gloves. Seems like he should have had a lot more. Um, and you know, he, he was, he was always a good, a uh, very solid player. Uh, you know, he obviously moved on from the Royals, uh, spent, uh, some years with the Mets, uh, had some good years, uh, reached the world series in 2006. He's kind of best known, I think for having the bat on his shoulder when the, the series ended at the NLCS. I'm sorry. He only made it to the NLCS that year. Uh, and that's kind of like, I think that's kind of hurts him a little bit. He didn't have a whole lot of postseason success in his prime. Some of that's because he played with the Royals, who obviously were terrible. And then when he did get to the postseason with the Astros in 2004 and the Mets in 2006, they didn't really uh, have long runs. Um, and then kind of his, his big postseason moment, he had the bat on his shoulders when the Cardinals struck him out and, and ended the series. Um, so, so and, he, and the other thing I think that kind of hurts him, um, is he didn't have a whole lot of MVP type seasons. Like he was a very consistent player throughout his career, uh, but didn't have like the, the big, huge season uh, that he just kind of put everyone on notice. His best season was probably 2006 when he was with the Mets, um, when he finished fourth in MVP voting. Um, but other than that, he didn't really seriously contend for an MVP. Uh, so if you're kind of a high peak guy, which I am, um, that kind of hurts him a little bit. And I guess finally, the last thing that hurts him a little bit is the, is the, the sign stealing scandal with the Astros. Yeah. I, I don't feel like that's going to hurt him that much. I feel like, um, people are collectively mad at the Astros and it seems like Jose Altuve has gotten like the bulk of the anger, even though mm-hmm. it sounds like Bolt Beltran is kind of the ringleader. Of it. Yeah. Um, but it didn't but he's such a likable guy, such a well-respected guy around baseball. I don't feel like it's hurting him that much. And it's also, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. If, I think the people that are angry about the sign stealing are really angry about it, but I don't know if that anger is, is, is shared by the writers, like I think the writers, yeah. they're like, Hey, that was, that was, that was bad, but we've kind of moved on. Cause they, they were very um, like complimentary of the Astros winning it this year, which a lot of fans were still upset about, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> even though there aren't even that many players left from that 2017 team. So I don't think it's going to hurt him with the riders that much. Uh, the thing that helps him, I think on the ballot is it's a very weak ballot. Um, especially if you're someone who's like, I don't think, you know, performance enhancing drug, people uh, players that have a that kind of stay on their career should get in then you look around and and there aren't really a whole lot of other candidates that you would um, consider on this year's ballot i think scott Rowland has the best chance of getting in uh and he's because he's gotten he got over 60 percent last year i believe um and i think he's been on a lot of ballots this year but other than that it's like it's like todd helton and billy wagner and 
you know, I, I, you know, then you're looking at the, the guys that have some, some, uh, you know, either performance enhancing drug concerns like yep. Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield, or guys that are just kind of getting overlooked a little bit. Like Andrew Jones, I think has gotten some support, um, but, but certainly not enough to, to get close to a hall of fame inclusion. So, I mean, that helps Beltran a little bit and that he kind of stands out among that group. Uh, you know, he didn't ever had any performance enhancing drug whispers or, or any suspicions like that. Um, and uh, so he starts looking like a better candidate, but I don't, I don't, I don't think he's a first ballot guy. I think a lot of people will say he was really good. He, he you know, he, and I don't, I think it's stupid to have a distinction between first ballot guys and non first ballot guys. I mean, if you're a hall of famer, you're a hall of famer yeah. um, in my book. So, I mean, I he would be on my ballot. Um, but I don't think he'll get in this year. I think he'll get in eventually. Um, uh, you know, but, but, um, you know, we'll have to see. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what the next couple of ballots look like if it gets harder for him. I guess I can look up 2024. Um, I guess the next, next year, the best candidates would be Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, uh, David Wright, um, Matt Holiday. So that's not a particularly strong group either. Um, so, you know, he could be, and, and, you know, he could have a, a chance here the next couple of years if he doesn't get in this year. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, I do want to circle back a little bit to the, I don't know if we're really appreciating the full gravity of the fact that Carlos Beltran is the, is the first player heavily involved with the Astro science ceiling scandal to come onto a hall of fame ballot. And what happens with him this year could have a lot of ripple effects going on <clears throat> in votes down the line. You know, we're going to face these hall of fame questions with Altuve, Bregman, Correa, um, probably George Springer as well. But those are all years, years down the line. Now, something that I didn't know until recently, Max is Carlos Beltran was actually one of the, he was like one of the top benefactors of the, of the trash can banging. I, I don't know. I'm not very envious of the Astros player who actually went back and logged all the trash can banging. It's <laughs> there's a there's a full article on it on the Athletic, and it was. I'm trying to I'm trying to dissect this, but he was in like the top four of the players who it was like bangs per at bat. <laughs> it's look this isn't a, this is a normal stat for baseball okay trash can bangs per at bat is not not an usual thing but max you were you were saying that you don't know if the writers are really mad with beltron about it but do you think like maybe they could you know take a a ceremonial stand by making sure that he doesn't get in on the first ballot do you th i mean am i really overestimating the possible anger that could be had well, I mean, the one thing is that you need to be on 75 percent of the ballot. So even, even if it's a small minority that maybe harbors some resentment over that, uh, that could be enough to keep them off. Now, I think I think that most writers will not consider that at least not a very big factor. Um, I think if he doesn't make it on the first ballot, it'll be people saying, you know, he was really good, but he's not a first ballot guy, which I think is kind of like I said, it's kind of silly. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Like if there's enough of them that feel that way then and 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 he doesn't have a slam dunk case like i think he's a yeah, he's a yeah. he's a guy that should be in but it's not a guy it's not like george brett numbers it's not like you know a guy it's pretty obvious he's a hall of famer like mm -hmm. when you look at his numbers like i said he wasn't you know he doesn't have a whole lot of postseason success he like he didn't have the big mvp years 
Um, he only, um, you know, he only made, uh, he, like I said, only won three gold gloves. Um, he was a nine-time All-Star, which is a lot. Uh, and he was just kind of consistent year in, year out, like that quality hitter every year. And he lasted, he was a quality hitter up till age 39, which is that's yeah, a, for a while. And he came up pretty young too. So age from age 22 to age 39, like he was a very consistent performer every year. Um, never huge, huge spikes, but, but very consistent, you know, 120, 130, 140 OPS plus every year with great okay. defense and great base dealing. That's very valuable. So um, I think he'll get in eventually, I, you know, if he does have to sit a couple years, I think it's gonna be more because uh, of, of people not feeling he like he's a, an inner pantheon, you know, hall of famer that more than anything, but, uh, but there probably will be a little bit of a penalty for the science dealing thing. Probably so, probably so. And hey, while it's on my while it's on my mind, Max, I do just want to say um, for all the listeners out there, please go check out a book called Astro Ball. Um, it was published July tenth, twenty eighteen, and it was it was very shocking to read how much like the author, you know, pre finding out about the trash can stuff that he was talking about how important Beltron was to this Astros team um, en route to very, very competitive baseball. And I think maybe that's something that might propel him is the fact that he was a, a key cog in a very competitive team so late in his career, because you don't, I feel like you don't see that very often. You'll see, you'll see these older guys kind of dwindle off. I mean, but when Beltron Beltron was good, up until he stepped away from the game in, in my opinion. So we will, we'll just have to wait and see max. I want you to predict it. Yes or no. Does he get 75% on this ballot? I don't think he gets 75% on this ballot. I think he will get in Cooperstown eventually, uh, but not, not this year. And, and you raise a really good point too, about him uh, being, and that's a great book, by the way, Astro ball. Uh, although it, it's interesting to read it now in line yeah. of all that what's that's come out since then. Uh, but yeah, the Astros being so analytically minded, they knew they needed some leader, some veteran leader to kind of be the star, the stir, the, the straw that stir the the drink. And that was, mm-hmm. that was Beltran. They specifically targeted him, and he's just so well respected around the game. That's why he got like a managerial uh, uh, um, offers uh, without ever coaching before. Um, and I imagine he probably will get more offers in the future, even with the sign stealing scandal uh, on his resume, just because he is so well respected as a, you know, a, a leader in clubhouses, uh, uh, someone who's fluent in both English and Spanish. Um, and of course, someone who has a Hall of Fame resume on his, uh, you know, that he can point to. Um, I think, you know, he's, he's like I said, he's just extremely well respected. I think if he does make the Hall of Fame, too, it'll be interesting to see. What cap he goes uh, like they put on him? It's it's up to the Hall of Fame. The player can indicate a preference. Ooh, yeah. And he spent more uh, time with. Uh, well, he spent seven seasons in Kansas City and seven with the Mets, and then kind of bounced around with a couple other teams. So it's probably it's really down to the Royals and Mets. Yeah. And I think because his postseasons, uh, he has said more postseason glory with the Mets. Some of his more prime years, I think, were with the Mets. I think that's probably going to put them in the lead over the Royals. Yeah. Um, but you know, it could be one of those cases where they don't have any, uh, sometimes there's a couple players that don't have any logo because they spend time with so many teams and that could be the case with him. Cause a lot of other teams would like to claim them as well. Uh, so that, it might be interesting to see. I, I'd like, you know, obviously I want him to have a Royals, uh, logo on his cap if he does make it to Cooperstown. Um, but, uh, it's probably, it's probably 50, 50 split to see this, to see which one he gets, but, uh, Oh yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That we will. 
Uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about Brady Singer and the arbitration case with the Kansas City Royals. And plus, we'll recap all of the recent signings by the Kansas City Royals. But right now, let's take a quick ad break. And we are back on Royals Review Radio. Jacob Milham here with Mr. Max Reaper, our fearless leader, our editor. Um, Max, I want to give folks a just a quick, quick peek behind the curtain. Like how hard at points has it been to write content on the Royals, especially when it was so slow? You know, it hasn't been too bad. I mean, I, I'm just a huge baseball fan, so I, I can usually find something in the game to write about. And it's coming It's coming spurts. I mean, um, you know, there's been weeks where nothing happens, but uh, then there'll be a week like last week. It wasn't like a huge news week, but there was, you know, we had some minor league coaches named. We had some arbitration cases to talk about. The Carlos Correa signing, which you guys talked about last week with Jeremy. That was pretty interesting. Um, so there's always something in the game. I mean, look, there, you know, it's it's it, there's a little sometimes you have to kind of stretch a little bit like, you yeah. know, Jeremy has a nice review of the 1990s baseball I'm using the word comedy very loosely here. Oh, yeah. Ed, then the, the, Ed with oh, the monkey man. and Matt LeBlanc, uh, he has a review of that. So mm-hmm. we do have to stretch a little bit to cut to uh, find things to write about. But, uh, you know, usually something pops up. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I will say one of the biggest blips on the Kansas City Royals radar this past week was all of the. Um, the salary agreements, the, the, you know, to avoid arbitration, a lot of big names, a lot of key players for the Kansas city Royals did reach deals to avoid arbitration. Um, seven out of eight. I think that's, that's a pretty good batting average. If you ask me um, guys like Scott Barlow, Chris Bubich, Amir Garrett. Well, I'm just going to list them all off. <laughs> Taylor Clark, uh, Brad Keller, Nikki Lopez, Nikki Lopez and Josh Stalmont. Um, they all agreed to contracts and will avoid arbitration with the Kansas City Royals. But the big name, of course, was young, probable number one pitcher for 2023, Mr. Brady Singer himself. Um, really one of the biggest stories coming out of the 2022 season was this guy went from a maybe bullpen arm to going back down to Omaha and he came back up. Second half of the 2022 season was was pretty, pretty solid, if you ask me. Um, Now, Mr. Mark Feinsand of MLB.com did report that the two sides were very, very close on, you know, coming to an agreement. Um, Singers camp put three point three two five million dollars on the table and Kansas City wanted Singer for two point nine five million. So a fairly I wouldn't say minuscule difference, but that is less than $400,000 difference to avoid arbitration. Um, Max, I I do have a few questions. I want to get your opinions on this, but one, do you feel that Singer was the last to, we were the last to hear about Singer. Do you think that they were actively trying to negotiate a long-term contract with Singer? Well, yeah, that's the first thing that kind of came to my mind when we saw that he was the only unsigned player is that, okay, well, maybe they're trying to iron out something a little longer term here. Um, and so I, there's a lot of questions that come up with this. First of all, you know, Friday was a deadline to reach reach terms on it with a player before exchanging figures. Now, that means, yes, that, you. you know, they, they can still reach agreement on a one-year deal or multi-year deal at any time. But some teams, and we don't know if the Royals are like this under J.J. Piccolo or not, 
but some teams have a, a stance which they call file and trial, which means, okay, once we hit the deadline to exchange numbers, we are done negotiating until we go to an arbitration hearing. And then at mm-hmm. an arbitration hearing, the, the club submits their number, the, the player submits their number. The arbit- then both sides make their case why the their number should be taken. The arbitrator then either sides with the team or sides with the player. The arbitrator can't split the difference. I, th- I believe actually it's an arbitration panel now, three uh, three person panel, um, and so and it's a contentious process because you have the team saying this is why this player is not worth this much money, and the player saying this is why I am worth this much uh, th- this much money. Uh, last year, the Royals had two arbitration cases. Uh, Andrew Benintendi won his case, and Nicky Lopez lost his case. And Lopez afterwards kind of said, yeah, this is a crummy process to go through. Uh, and he, he he came to terms this year on a deal without having to go through arbitration. So it's not a pleasant thing to go through uh, with a player. It can kind of damage relationships with a player a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And Brady Singer is, look, he's <laughs> he's got a little bit of red ass in him already. <laughs> um, and he's a player that um, they – kind of turned back his service time a little bit this year by demoting him to start the year. That pushes back his free agency a whole year. Um, I'm sure he's aware of that. <laughs> you know, that's, that's already a uh, one, you know, one thing they did that may, may uh, perturb him. Um, and so, you know, he's a competitive guy. He doesn't want to hear that, how much he sucks in an arbitration hearing. So, you know, it seems, it seems like to be a little short-sighted to kind of go to, arbitration as a Royals over three hundred, you know, $30,000, um, especially when he was very good last year. Like I yes, kind of get exactly. holding the line on like a Nicky Lopez or Brad Keller. Um, but Singer was your best pitcher last year. Uh, I probably wouldn't be that, that stubborn with him. Um, so that makes me think that perhaps they were trying to work out a long-term deal, uh, you know, try to make him maybe, maybe make him whole for that year that he's losing out to free agency by giving him a nice big salary that year. Um, so I'm holding out. That's what I hope is the case. I, I hope it's not that they're just being stingy <laughs> and trying to save $300,000 and yeah. anger their, their best pitcher. But, uh, we really don't know how they're going to operate under JJ Piccolo. It's just kind of a whole new world. So, uh, we'll have to see that's that's true that's true now max in in my eyes you know seeing this just as a as a one of one if singer was the only guy that the royals had to worry about with arbitration i'd be like okay go go to trial let's see what happens but when you look at him among the other seven guys who they came to agreements with i mean come on they're they agreed to $5.7 million with Brad Keller, who we don't even know if he's going to be a part of the rotation or if he's just going to be a bullpen arm. Um, they agreed to 3.7 with Nicky Lopez when the Royals already have kind of in middle infield log jam right now that they're dealing with heading into 2023. Like it doesn't seem like the team is unwilling to pay these, these proven guys or quote unquote proven, you know, they've, they've done their time in the majors, things like that, but it comes a time where you just have to invest in these, in these young guys simply because they have a higher ceiling. And I don't, again, like you said, this is the first iteration of this where JJ Piccolo is, is running the show as far as, you know, figures and arbitration, things like that. I just do find it frustrating that it does seem like they're fighting over peanuts at, at the end of the day. I think that, that's not a unbridgeable gap for a one-year agreement, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little fired up about it, Max. <laughs> well, and that's why it makes me think that they're they're trying to work something out long term because it seems silly to 
give Ryan O'Hearn 1.4 million and then turn around and say, well, you know what, Brady Singer, you're not worth that extra $300,000. Yeah. And, and for anyone that's not familiar with the arbitration process and, and you're like, why is Brad Keller getting so much more than Brady Singer? It's a lot of it's based on service time. So Brad Keller has, has five years of service time. Brady Singer only has three or actually is less than three. Mm-hmm. Um, so because Keller, there's more weight given towards uh, guys with more service time. So that's why Brad Keller is getting, and you always get, a, you almost always get some sort of escalator in salary, even if you had a bad year. Um, this, you know, some, some escalators more than others. I think Juan Soto is getting $23 million this year under the arbitration system, which I think is a record for a player with his service time. But, uh, but that's why Keller is getting more than Singer. Uh, and, and you hope that Singer, you know, will eventually get his and, and maybe they can work out a deal here where um, they can, they can, kind of do something for him that's that's going to give him some of that money up front a little bit more because what you know they're not spending money on free agents and and you know unless they're just super cheap you know you invest in the players you have invest in the good players you have and i know that you know it takes two to tango and singer has to be open to a long-term deal too but he's a pitcher and he's a pitcher with a short track record of success and that arm can blow out at any time and you know who knows if you regress next year and then maybe that you're not getting the same sink on that pitch as you did this year, you're going to want some some insurance against that, and the long term deal is, is kind of a nice uh, kind of a nice fallback uh, if things don't really work out for you. I mean, I ask Hunter Dozier. I mean, he had one good year and parlayed that into you know a multi million dollar deal. Um, so it makes some sense, I think, for Singer. I think he's a better bet going forward than like a Hunter Dozier, and I don't think it would cost an incredible amount of money for a team like the Royals. So it, you know, hopefully they get something done. Hopefully they're they're doing something. They're talking about something and. They can give us some exciting news here uh, before the season starts. Okay. All right. Well, we will, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. And like you said, Max, there's still plenty of outcomes that can come between Singer and the Royals before 2023. We'll just have to wait and see. And if you want to be informed about all breaking news coming out of Kauffman stadium, please go check out RoyalsReview.com. And you could also follow Royals review on Twitter and on Facebook. Now, Max, to go ahead and wrap up the show, there's there's actually a little bit of Royals news today on a Sunday of, of all days. We're not really uh, not really used to that, but the Royals did announce four international prospect signings so far, and one is creating a little buzz, not really a top-flight guy, um, but the four guys that they signed so far, outfielder Emmanuel Santos, outfielder Darvin Cruz, and then right-handed pitcher Mar Marwis Jorge. I'm I'm sorry. I know I'm probably saying saying that wrong. And then also they signed right-handed pitcher Damian Jimenez. Now Jorge is the one who's really creating some buzz because he was MLB.com's 49th ranked international prospect. So and that's that's the only guy among the Royal signings that was ranked by MLB.com. And then plus on top of that, um, Jorge, he's got some, uh, he's got some pretty good comps, you know, MLB guys are comparing him to Edward Cabrera, um, even Sandy Alcantara, which was very, very surprising considering his recent success down in Miami, but Royals fans will recognize his trainer's name. Edison Volquez, of all people, is training Jorge one-on-one down in the Dominican Republic. 
Um, Max, we we don't know a whole lot about a whole lot about Jorge himself. I'm sure that as the days come, we'll we'll see some breakdowns. We'll see some predictions about what type of player he can be for the Royals. But my question for you is the Royals don't have a really stellar record of developing these international guys in recent years. Um, names like Rodano Ventura and Kelvin Herrera were key guys in the championship runs. But since then, it's been it's been pretty thin out of the international pool. Do you have any faith in the Royals developing these international guys or do you see any changes that need to be made to kind of reverse course? Yeah, it, uh, there's a there's a piece that's coming out, I think, in the next couple of weeks about uh, Royals international signings or I guess international signings in general. And the writer was asking me because uh, he, had, he had done some research. He's like. The Royals, what's the best international signing the Royals have had in the last 10 years? Because I, I must be missing someone. And he's like, is it Stewie Ruiz, the, who's now a, uh, who's in the Trevor Cahill deal? He's now a minor leaguer with the, the Brewers. And I oh, kind of wow. went back and looked. And I go, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is him. Maybe Carlos Hernandez. But like that, that's like that's not a lot for the last for a decade, the last decade of, of signings. Alberto Montesi was, I think, the year before, you know, the, the he, was, he was looking back at 10 years. And I think Montesi was a year before that. So not a lot that uh, to, to, to really hang your hat on. But I'll say this. I mean, the international free agent market is such a crapshoot in general. I think there were there have been times where teams have had advantages down there, either because other teams weren't investing as much or because of so, certain connections. I mean, I think, you know, obviously the Blue Jays and Dodgers in the 80s and 90s had great pipelines. Um, you know, I think the Astros have had a really good pipeline the last 10, 15 years. Uh, but it's 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 really hard to consistently produce players out of there. I mean, you're talking about Jorge and it, he sounds great. I'm not going to pretend like I know anything about it. A 16 year old Dominican kid, you know, that that uh, <laughs> whose name I hadn't heard uh, three days ago. Uh, fair, but, fair. you know, it's just he's 16 years old, man. Think about what you were doing. You're 16 years old. Yeah. I mean, you know, eight years later. You know, it's just hard to project the line between, you know, those two ages and so much can go right and so much can go wrong. I mean, uh, so, you know, I was looking back at uh, top 50 international signings over the last you know seven, eight years. And there's a lot of names that just don't pan out. I mean, like, you know, yeah. some, some Royals fans are complaining. Why aren't the Royals? You know, Jorge is ranked number 49 by MLB pipeline. Uh, the Royals are giving a $450,000 bonus, pretty, pretty significant bonus, but there's some million dollar bonuses out there too. Um, so, you know, they're spending some money on him. They're not, but they're not going after a lot of the top guys. And there's some, some fans are, you know, saying like, why aren't the Royals going after the top guys? Ethan Salas, a catcher out of Venezuela is getting $5.6 million from the Padres. And I'm like, I'm looking back at these old lists and it's like, dude, the top names are a lot of them are busts. I mean, Occasionally, you'll run into a Luis Robert, uh, Aloy Jimenez, uh, a Rafael Devers. But, you know, here's the, the 2010 list. The top name, Adonis Cardona of the Blue Jays, a pitcher, 16-year-old pitcher. I don't yeah. remember him ever making the big – I've never heard of him. Luis yeah, Aredi of the Pirates, Ariel Ovando of the Astros, Phillips Castillo of the Mariners. Uh, none of those guys I, I, I are guys I recognize as big leaders. So, you know, I, I'm going to do a, a, I'm going to pour over these lists and try to come up with some sort of uh, analysis on this, but mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's so hard to come up, you know, and it, it's when you do, 
it's it's like hitting the lottery. <laughs> it's like yeah, true. You know, occasionally you get the Rafael Devers or the Fernando Tatis Juniors, and it's like wow, you know, I'm so glad we invested in in this. But then there's like seven eight years where you you're you're coming up with like fringe pitchers, and uh, yeah, it's 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 so hard to come up with. Um, a good system, I think. And I, you know, they, they sing the praises of Rene Francisco and uh, maybe there needs to be a shakeup in that department. And maybe, uh, maybe. yeah, maybe, you know, cause that, there hasn't been a lot of fruit uh, lately. Um, but also, you know, for fans that are like, why aren't they investing in the, in the big dollar guys? Well, you know, Salvador Perez, I think it was like a $20,000 guy, you know, you're down to Ventura. I don't think it was a high dollar guy. Kelvin Herrera. I don't think he was a high dollar guy. No, none of the more. None of more. So yeah, so maybe it's better to kind of spread your money around to lots of players, and and you know it's like buying a hundred lottery tickets instead of one. You know, it's <laughs> like uh, maybe that improves your chances a little bit. So uh, I, I can't say I know enough about the international system to, to really speak on it confidently. Other than I know that it's very very the odds are against each of these young men as they try to reach the big leagues. That's fair. That's fair. And I, I will say one Royals prospect that made his MLB debut last year and is a, a top five prospect in the in the system. Michael Garcia, he, he's an international. He might be one of the top signing. international. Yeah, he might be one of the top international signings of the last decade. Yeah. I also say um, there is also I think an, you know, I was mentioning like the, the Blue Jays and the Dodgers having their pipelines in the 80s. That's because a lot of teams weren't investing in the, like the Dominican Republic back then. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a value in, in perhaps being like the first team to go explore a certain market. And I see this a little bit with the Pirates. It seems like they have a pipeline to Korea right now where they're signing a lot of yeah, Korean players. And I don't you know, they're not getting you know, not a lot of them have reached the big leagues yet. I mean, it's going to take some time, but. You know, if you if the Royals can find that next market, and they've been tried, they tried to be creative. You know, Daryl Collins was out of uh, you know, it was a Curacao or the Netherlands. Um, they tried to send Martin Gasparini, a shortstop, to a million dollar contract out of Italy, which is not where you see a lot of players. I know at one point they're looking at South Africa and Australia. So you know, m- maybe they haven't had a lot of success with those markets yet. But one of these days, you know, Venezuela wasn't a place where. Yeah, teams were really true. scouting for a while, and the Royals got Salvador Perez out of it. And now it's, I think, much more of a hotbed. Uh, so if the Royals can find that that next hot market, that could be an advantage. But uh, it's hard to know where, where that's going to be. That's true. That's true. Another, and you're, you're talking about all these different markets. One of the one of the ones I was surprised about the number thirty five overall prospect out of the Rays was a guy that the Rays signed for two hundred thousand dollars out of Australia. Um, Curtis Mead, an infielder. So it's, there's certainly a lot of untapped markets that, you know, we, we all think, okay, the international pool is just coming from the Dominican Republic and, and Latin America and that area. There's a whole, there's a whole slew of other continents to be explored. So maybe the, maybe the Royals are spreading out their wealth. Like you said, trying to just get a a whole bunch of lottery tickets and hoping one of them pans out, but we shall wait and see. Now, Max, I'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot here. Um, I do want to tell the listeners we will have our first Royals review review from Mr. Max of 2023. Um, that will be next week. But Max, thank you so much for all the work you do over at Royals Review. Thank you so much for kind of guiding, guiding the battalion over there, so to speak. Where can folks find you on social media and find your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Max Reaper, M-A-X-R-I-E-P-E-R. And I also tweet over at Royals Review. And you can also find uh, everything I write at RoyalsReview.com. 
Heck yeah, pretty uh, pretty succinct, man. I I do appreciate that. Um, Max, thank you so much for coming on Sunday night. As always, I don't know about you, but I'm about to tune into this Baltimore Bengals game and hope it's not a blowout. But um, every blowout's turned into a close game. So <laughs> I know, I know. So we will uh, we'll we'll just wait and see. I'll let you know. But by the time everyone's listening to this, I will uh, either be a fool or I'll be a fool. I think this is kind of a lose lose <laughs> situation for me here. Again, I'm Jake Camille Ham. You can find me on Twitter at Jamil the Ham. To all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, go Royals! Go Royals!